I too want to say uh, thank you uh, to Katie for being willing to serve as our pianist, and uh, I know she would appreciate uh, prayers for her studies, uh, which takes up quite a bit of time, I know, and uh, but she's putting in extra time preparing to help us here uh, as our accompanist. So we're very thankful. Let's turn to Second Timothy, chapter three. And we looked at the first part of verse 16, uh, really just the part that says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We looked at what it means that the Bible is inspired and what are some of the implications. And today we'll finish the rest of this verse. And Lord willing, next Sunday we'll go to verse 17, but... I'm going to back up and read verses 15 through 17, just so you get the context. Paul writing to his uh, spiritual son, Timothy, he says, And that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Thus ends the reading of the inspired, infallible, and errant word of God. Let us pray. Father, it is humbling to think that you would speak to us and would give us a written copy of of the very words that you inspired. They are your words breathed out through the pen of sinful and fallible human beings, and yet you ensured by the power of the Holy Spirit that these words would be without error, that they would be your words. So, Lord, would you speak afresh to us today, and, Lord, speak to us each personally uh, Lord, to where we are in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned uh, a couple of things, and if you paid attention to the scripture reading, you know something already about the scriptures, that they're able to make you wise for salvation. That's the, the great purpose of Jesus Christ being sent into the world. It's the great purpose of the scriptures being given to us to tell us about that so that we might believe in him and be saved. If you're wise, you will turn from your sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But we also learn what it means that the scriptures are inspired. Today, we're going to see why we have the scriptures, and that is that they are profitable, uh, they are useful to us, uh, they are necessarily useful to us. They're not take it or leave it useful (laughs) They are absolutely needful, useful uh, to us. So scripture is profitable. That makes us think of profit. If you're in a business, your goal is to, at least one of your goals, is going to be to to make a financial profit from the business. Otherwise, um, you won't be in business very long. Uh, And if you're a Christian, then we might ask, well, how can I profit spiritually? Where where may I gain some spiritual profit? Um, And and the answer is by the right use of the scriptures. 
there's where profit is to be found. You say, well, I'm only losing. I seem to be losing ground. I'm not profiting. I'm not gaining ground. You need the scriptures. Now, many people see no profit in studying the Bible. It's an old book. It's about ancient history. And if I'm interested in ancient history, maybe I'll pick it up and read it. But if I'm not, well, I guess then there's nothing there for me. That's the way some think. But the genuine believer, the one who's been born again of the Spirit of God, does not have that attitude. Uh, the one who's been born again understands that God's giving us a book, and it's not a dusty old book, it's a living book. The Word of God is living, it's active, and when we read it, it resonates with our heart, with our mind, and we know how much we need it. We know that through it, God wants to change our lives. And again, going back to that idea of that scriptures make us wise for salvation, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, you began a process of change. God began a process of changing you. And the Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he is a new uh, creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. All things are becoming new if you know Christ. And, and so this great change takes place in the heart and it overflows into the life. Uh, from that moment on, from faith in Jesus, this process is set in motion and God is finishing the work that he began in us. Uh, the work of salvation has been paid fully. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the work, of, the ongoing work of sanctification in our lives. This process of growing in grace, uh, becoming more like Jesus, uh, living a more uh, righteous and holy life. And that's the goal. Uh, the goal of every believer is to grow up to spiritual maturity. Nothing sadder to see someone who's been a Christian for many, many years, but who hasn't grown very much. Um, and so this is what our goal is, and as, as Paul writes in verse 17, that we would become uh, a man or a woman of God, we would add that, uh, equipped for every good work. So is that your goal this morning? Do you desire to be a man of God? Do you desire to be a woman of God, a servant of God, used by God? Well, then you need the scriptures. Uh, and for those who really want to grow spiritually, the scriptures, again, they become a vital and necessary, useful tool uh, and means of grace that, that we just can't get enough of. Uh, you, if you're a believer who wants to please God, you will search the scriptures daily uh, to find out how you can grow, how I can better please God, how I can better serve him. In verse 16, there is a four-step process for change. And see, change is, is very important. Change is what God is about in your life and in my life. Because of remaining corruption, because of uh, ongoing habits of, and, and, and falls into sin, uh, we need ongoing change. It doesn't matter if you're a new believer or if you've been a Christian for a long time. Um, and this four-step process, if you will allow it to work in your life, uh, it'll enable you to deal with life's problems, with trouble, with trials. It will enable you to resist the devil's temptations and direct you in serving God in his kingdom. So what is this four-step process? Well, it's four words as you... 
uh, can readily see in the second part of verse 16. And the first word is doctrine. Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Remember, that means God breathed. It's not breathing in. It's breathing out. It's his breath. He speaks the word. It's inspired, and it's profitable for doctrine. There is an intentional order in these steps, and if we're going to apply these things in our lives, they need to be used in that order that God has listed them here. Uh, and, and each step, of course, is based upon intake of the Word of God. God's breathed it out, and we are to take it in to our minds and our hearts and practice in our lives. So that includes such things as private reading and study, includes such things as, as uh, group Bible studies, like we're doing today after service. It certainly uh, includes one-on-one -on -one discipleship, one-on-one uh, -on -one counseling with the Word, and it includes the preaching and teaching uh, of the Word in, a, in the church. So that word doctrine simply means teaching or, or teachings. It's, it's, Christian doctrine has to do with the Bible's teachings on whatever matter that it speaks to. And it is authoritative and it's useful uh, for, for whatever it speaks to. And uh, so doctrine is, is the foundation for everything else. Let's say you're dealing with marriage problems. Um, if you're married, you're dealing with marriage problems. <laughs> and, and, and if you're going to find God's help in your marriage, uh, you need to have an understanding of the Bible's doctrine or teaching on marriage. And the Bible has a lot to say about marriage um, from the very first chapter. Uh, first and second chapters of Genesis all the way uh, to the end. So uh, many people have a wrong understanding of God's design, purpose, and expectations for marriage. And uh, until you have a proper biblical framework uh, concerning uh, marriage and what it's all about, the proper roles uh, and the duties that we have towards each other in marriage, did you know that, that there are duties from one spouse to the other, husband to wife, wife to husband. Uh, if you don't understand these, you're not going to make progress in that area of life. If you don't know what God has said is, is, is your role, your duty, if you don't even know what it is, how are you going to do it? Uh, so you need to become familiar with the doctrine of marriage uh, and, and, and the standards he's put down in Scripture for us. And then, of course, the hope is, by God's grace, you'll be able to align yourself um, with those standards. Now, of course, the Bible, when we think about doctrine, we think about theology, and that is part of it. In fact, uh, the Bible teaches us really mainly about two things. It teaches us about God and ourselves. And if you read the, the Institutes of the Christian Religion, written by John Calvin many years ago, that's how he began his Institutes of the Christian Religion, saying that the knowledge of God leads us to the knowledge of ourselves. But he also said vice versa. The knowledge of ourselves in Scripture leads us to the knowledge of God. But God, we would say, is primary. The knowledge of God is primary. It's the only way we can know anything else is to know him. And so Scripture teaches us about his attributes, his works, his Creation, his upholding of that creation, his sovereignty, um, 
He teaches us of providence, predestination, the doctrine of miracles, the doctrine of the covenant. Um, it teaches us about the person and work of Jesus our, as our mediator between God and man, the, the person and work of the Holy Spirit. Do a study on these things. Learn these things. And if you want help, you can... Of course, the Bible is the textbook. But there are other helps, such as the Westminster Confession of Faith. There's a chapter on God and on the Holy Trinity. You want to know who God is? Read that chapter. And look, at, look up all the verses that go along with it, the footnotes. That's, that's how we study and learn. That's a, a, a tremendous tool uh, given to us. And so in the Bible, we have so many subjects that are addressed. But today, the passage that we're looking at focuses on godly living and sanctification, growing uh, in holiness. So in order to live a holy life, you and I must first know, again, what, what does that look like? And we often uh, largely find out what that looks like by looking at uh, the commandments that God has given us in Scripture, the Ten Commandments and many other uh, principles and commands that we find in Scripture. We can read the Sermon on the Mount and say, this is what God requires of us. This is what holiness looks like. We can also uh, see what holiness looks like by looking at the great men and women of God in Scripture. But ultimately, it's by looking at Jesus. And how do we look at Jesus? By the, what he's revealed about himself in the Scriptures. So you and I must learn before we can do. We we, we like to get to it sometimes. We want to get in a hurry and, and say, well, well, what can I do? What am I supposed to do? Well, let's, let's learn first. And Scripture does contain all things that are necessary uh, for this process of growing in godliness. The, and the Bible is inspired. Uh, first of all, it, it, the Bible appeals to our hearts. I mean, to our minds, which in, you know, the heart does include the mind, by the way. The Bible appeals to the mind uh, first, and then the, the emotions, uh, your life, and, and, and your thoughts, and, and your words, your deeds, and so on, will be affected. But it's, it's, it is appealing directly to your mind. The Bible is given so that you might learn. Um, are you in school? Well, we, we know some folks that are in school. And you say, well, I graduated a long time ago. You never graduate from this school, the school of Scripture and learning about uh, the Lord. Well, until your mind learns the doctrines and teachings of the Bible, you're going to remain immature in your faith. Until you, and, and if you're going to grow, you've got to grow in knowledge first. And, and so uh, the charismatic movement... Um, has told millions of people that in order to discover the deep things of God, you have to disengage your mind. It's actually what they teach. And uh, uh, the intellect is viewed as the enemy of, of your relationship with God. And uh, one of our elders sent me a, a video a message this week, and, and it was exposing these false teachers. And one of the false teachers mentioned in there was Joyce Meyer. Yes, I'm naming names because the Bible does that. And Joyce Meyer says this. She says, stop trying to get a hold of God with your head. It's a heart thing. As soon as you get into reasoning, you're going to have trouble believing. 
Well, Scripture teaches the opposite. The Scripture appeals to the mind. It tells us to use our minds, to renew, be renewed in our minds. It tells us to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength. So anyone that says, don't use your mind, is contradicting, blatantly contradicting the Bible. And so Joyce Meyer has blatantly contradicted the Bible. If you want to be a man or woman of God, you must commit to learning the teachings of the Bible, the doctrines of the Bible. There is no shortcut. There is no magic experience that will take you uh, from immaturity to maturity. Uh, the experience comes through daily studying and meditating and applying, uh, growing in your knowledge of the Word of God. Uh, scripture is given to us for doctrine, so we've got to study. We need to become well grounded in the doctrine of Scripture, and you never Never graduate from the school. Um, so secondly, in this four-step process, not only uh, is there doctrine, but there is reproof. Reproof. God inspired and gave the scriptures for reproof. But what is reproof? Well, it can be translated uh, to convict us, uh, to convince us to, of, our, of our faults, to rebuke us. And uh, so God not only tells us what's required of us, uh, the Bible, uh, God in Scripture, convicts us of our failures to uh, keep his and live by his requirements. So uh, it, to convict someone in a court of law, for example, someone has been charged with a crime and uh, there is a prosecution against the person who is uh, uh, supposed to be guilty and then if the person is guilty, they are convicted of that crime. Well, the Bible gives us a law. And when we break that law, God, through his word and by the Holy Spirit, convicts us. And we, we, we recognize that we're guilty. Uh, and even if you don't recognize it, if you sin, you're guilty before God. And the Bible says that the law condemns you. It convicts you. And so the thing is, we've got to, we've got to face the realities um, of our sinful failures. This, this step is not the most pleasant step for us, um, but you and I will never change to be what God wants us to be until we face the reproof of the Bible. Uh, being convicted of your sin may not feel good, but it does good to our souls, especially when it leads us to confess our sins, to repent of them, and keep going in these next steps that we'll look at. But speaking about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 8, listen to Jesus' words. He says, and when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, by nature, we tend to not see our sin. We see other sins. We don't see ours very well. We don't want to see our sin. And we don't like to think of having to live such a strict, righteous life. Uh, that, that bothers us. And we certainly don't want to think about the final judgment by nature. We, we would rather put these things out of our minds. But the Spirit of God convicts us and exposes the things and makes us aware of the things through the Scriptures. Uh, that normally we wouldn't want to think about, but we need to think about. So but when, when God convicts us of sin through his word, 
he causes us to see uh, the great evil that sin is. The exceeding sinfulness of sin. Uh, the, the weight of sin, the evil of sin, the misery of sin. These are things that we will be convicted of. Now, of course, the unbeliever will never turn to Christ, we know, until he or she is convicted of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. But believers also need this ongoing work of conviction that the Bible uh, brings about in our lives. Or, if, if we're not uh, ever under conviction... If we don't let the Bible do its convicting work in our lives, uh, we're not going to be very motivated to change. We will not think that we need to change because we think we're pretty good. Um, but the Bible doesn't let us um, go down that road. It, 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 it reproves us. And, and how does the Spirit of God bring about this conviction? Again, by means of the Word. Hebrews 4.12 uh, puts it this way. For the Word of God is living and powerful sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even through the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Sometimes the word cuts deep and it exposes the things in our hearts that maybe we didn't even know were there. And it's hard to face. But we need to face uh, whatever it is. We need to allow the Spirit of God uh, to use that sword, the sword of the Spirit, uh, to cut deep and, and reveal what is in our hearts. And, and to make us aware not only of our sin, and when we're aware of our sin, then, then we remember that Jesus Christ is our righteousness. We remember our daily need of Him as our righteousness and our sanctification. It says that, that Jesus has become wisdom and righteousness and sanctification for his people. And so uh, the scripture cuts to the heart. And uh, we, we see that in, in, in like the first sermon in the book of Acts. The apostle Peter preaches and it says, and, and, and the men and women who heard it were cut to the heart. And they said, what, what's, what must we do to be saved? That's what conviction does. That's what the Spirit does with the Word. Have you been convicted of sin recently? Uh, I want you to know that, honestly, I'm convicted about my sin every day of my life. Um, and, uh, if, and I think anyone who is in the Word is going to be convicted. I can't help but be in the Word. It's my job. And, uh, and, and But it does convict me every day that I read it. Every day I study and prepare uh, to teach and preach. I'm aware uh, that I fall short of what God has revealed in, in the Bible. Now, if you're not being regularly convicted of sin, it's probably because you're not in the Word on a consistent basis. Because if you're in the Word, you should be under conviction. Uh, but it's possible to read the Scriptures in such a way as, as you don't really feel convicted. Um, and I think that's because you need to read the scriptures prayerfully uh, as well. And uh, as you open your Bible, pray. You need to, one of the things you should pray for is the spirit of conviction. God, uh, and David's given us in Psalm 139, the last couple of verses, he's given us a very a good prayer to use. So uh, he says, search me, O God. And know my heart. 
Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So pray for conviction. God loves to answer that prayer. And not, not just to make you feel bad, but again, to lead you in the way everlasting, to lead you in the way forward. Well, there's something else we need often if we would be convicted of sin as we ought to be. Remember David's sin with Bathsheba, uh, committing adultery, and then uh, having her husband uh, killed in battle. Well, for a while, David was not convicted about his sin. You realize he went on for some time. Uh, And I think he was just trying to block it out of his life uh, and not think about it. But um, what happened? God sent a prophet to him. God sent a preacher to him. And this preacher's name was Nathan. And when Nathan preached the word to David, then David was convinced. Uh, when the preacher said, you're the man, uh, Nathan, I mean, David knew that he was the man, the guilty man. And uh, so that's why you and I need to hear the word of God preached every Lord's Day, every Lord's Day that we are able to walk into this building in a healthy state. We know that it's a time of sickness right now, and, and we're in and out. I missed the other day. Uh, I missed a Sunday. I, I was prepared to preach, but I wasn't able to do that. But we need to hear the word preached. God often speaks to us directly through the preached word. It's his, his ordained, ordained means to do that. So, we need to, as believers, we need to embrace reproof and seek conviction. And why is it so important? Why is conviction so important? Why do we really need to, to, do, to do this? Uh, because it has to do with our relationship with God. Uh, and, and, and so God wants us to change our ways, but he wants us to do it so that we can be close to him and enjoy him. And you can't be right with God. You can't walk closely with God if you're not being convicted of sin and therefore not repenting uh, of your sins. So conviction helps us to stay close, to have a good relationship with God. So how is, that's the question, how is your relationship with God? Let's move on to the third step in this four-step process, and that is the step of correction. Uh, Correction. The word correction means to restore to an upright position, and it has to do with our moral and spiritual reformation. The Word of God convicts, but it also corrects. In other words, it doesn't just tell you what's, what you've done wrong and leave you there, but it instructs you in how, how to fix things and, and make things right so that you start doing what is right. The, the Word of God wounds, but it also heals uh, A surgeon wounds so that the problem can be healed in your life. And God does this. Hosea 6, 1. Come and let us return to the Lord. He has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. You see, uh, God, through his word, cuts out the disease of sin, but then he heals the wound. Tears down, but he builds back up. So we have instruction or, or, or doctrine. Uh, we have conviction. Uh, and sometimes we don't get past those two steps. Uh, we come to church. We hear the word preached. We learn something. We feel bad. We're convicted about our sin. And we go home and there's no change because we haven't moved to this third step. 
There hasn't been a correction, a mending of our ways, uh, uh, an actual change uh, to where we begin to do things. Well, that leads to this important um, third step of correction, you see. And um, you haven't changed until you begin the step of correction. The Bible gives us a number of practical examples of correction. Uh, several are found in Ephesians chapter 4. And one is in verse 49, which says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is good for, for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearer. So let's suppose you become convicted about the use of your tongue, about your words. And um, maybe you've been overly critical of others and you uh, realize that. Or perhaps uh, you've developed a habit of cursing in anger, uh, a habit of putting others down. We could go on. The sins of the tongue are many. And the tongue is a restless evil. It's, it, it, it is an awful thing, James says, and it's impossible to control and yet we are convicted about it. And the Bible tells us we remember, perhaps, uh, that the Bible says, or we come across it in our reading, the Bible says, speak evil of no one. How are you doing in that area? Did you speak only good things of people this week? <laughs> uh, and, and the Bible says we, it's wrong to cur- we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. That includes unbelievers. Um, so, are you convicted? Did that lead to confession of, of the sin? Did it lead to confession of that sin to the people that maybe you hurt with your words? If they heard those words. Uh, but Ephesians says not only, you know, let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth. Stop the bad speech. It says, then begin to speak what's good for edification, to build others up, to impart grace to the hearer. So you, you, you and I need to correct our tongues so that they are used to build up and not tear down. It's a very uh, vivid illustration for us from the scriptures of what correction is all about. Um, I like the way Dr. J. Adams describes correction in his book, How to Help People Change, which is an entire book on verse 16 and this four-step process. He says, correction is God picking us up, brushing us off, turning us around, and giving us a shove in the right direction, all, of course, by the scriptures ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're not experiencing what Dr. Adams just described uh, you know, uh, picking you up, brushing you off, giving you a nudge in the right direction and sending you on your way, then you haven't experienced correction. Uh, so we've got doctrine, we've got reproof, and now we have correction, uh, which is to do, in a, is, is stop doing the negative, but do the positive thing that God requires, the opposite of our sin. And maybe you'll need some help in doing that. Uh, which really, I think, leads to the fourth and final step of becoming a person of God, and that is instruction. Instruction. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and for instruction in righteousness. Well, the, the word instruction is probably not the best word here because it, it sounds like it's the same thing as the first thing we talked about, of doctrine and teaching. 
But what it really means, the Greek word is paideia. And it refers to discipline and training in righteousness. So it's not just information. This is a this is this is something different. It was commonly uh, this word, this Greek word paideia, was used to refer to the education of children in those days. And uh, in that time, uh, the education of children involved not only the cultivation of the mind, but also of morals. Um, a lot of public education today, sadly, is lacking not only in the cultivation of morals, but also of the mind. But, uh, but that kind of education involved reproof, punishment, training, care of the body, manners, all kinds of thing, things. And um, so this final step uh, of instruction, or let's say training in righteousness, yeah, is the idea of taking a particular behavior that's been corrected... Uh, that correction has taken place, but then there's the practicing, the training, and disciplining yourself in that behavior, that new corrected behavior, until it becomes habit, until it becomes second nature. We know what bad habits are. We need to develop by the grace of God and the Spirit of God and the Word of God. We need to develop godly habits. To use an illustration, suppose you have had a bad shoulder. Some of you will not have to imagine this. You've been through it. But the doctor says the only way to correct it is to have surgery. Uh, and, and that'll fix it. And sure enough, you have the surgery and it fixed your shoulder. But you know, especially if you've had the surgery, uh, there's another step after surgery. Uh, so that the correction of the surgery will take and hold and last, you need to go through therapy. You need to, to have some discipline and training of that shoulder through exercises and through the therapist's directions so that the work of correction, the corrective surgery, uh, will be complete. Um, and so, too, it, it's only with discipline, training, and, and righteousness that the correction of, of the scriptures in our lives will, will stick. And it's only then that you can overcome habits and replace them with godly, righteous habits. So perhaps... You need another Christian to help you. Uh, the Bible tells us to exhort one another, uh, to encourage one another. It, it tells us, um, in, in fact, to, to actually counsel or admonish one another. These are just, just one another commands that every Christian is responsible uh, for. But, but maybe you need a, 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 someone to, get, to give you wise counsel from Scripture and to meet with you, to help train you, overcoming uh, a sinful habit and developing new habits. Maybe you just need to meet with another Christian friend to, to, to talk to and pray with, to encourage you, to be accountable to. And, and, and of course, as Doug said earlier, your pastor and elders are available uh, to help you. We don't do physical therapy in this church, but we do biblical therapy, and it's free. Uh, you can come to any uh, of your elders and teachers. We have others who are well-trained in, in counseling, and we have mature Christians who are able to do that. So things like Bible studies, committing yourself to a Bible study like we're doing today, uh, and doing the homework, and being thorough and committed about it. And, and we could go on and countless other things uh, that uh, if, if you're doing counseling, for example, and, and the counselor... Uh, the elder gives you something, some scripture to study and read. Do the reading. Do the study. Um, 
Because that's what discipline is all about. Now, whatever change needs to take place in your life, you will need to go through these four steps in some way if, if it's going to be lasting change. And remember this, that God is with you. If you're a believer, and this is for believers, uh, and, and he will help you. He will empower you to change. You are responsible to change. We know that. But God gives us the ability to change. And so you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Say, I can't handle this. I can't overcome this. I can't deal with this. The Bible tells us you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, we, you... In this flock, you are facing some really difficult things, I know. And there's things that I don't know about that you're facing that are difficult. But Christ will give you the strength as you look to him, abide in him, let his words abide in you, as John 15 says. The Holy Spirit will begin to do amazing things. He will change you. He will sanctify you. This process of of growth will continue. And as the Bible says, you'll begin to experience righteousness and joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. Well, next week we'll look at verse 17 in depth. The four-step process leads to something else even. You say, well, uh, you know, I've gone through all the steps. That's, that's all there is, right? No, there's more. So back next week, and hopefully we'll learn some more.